0: This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Bibles, if you would, turn with me this morning to John chapter 14. John chapter fourteen. As we are continuing this series on the presence of God, and we'll begin with John fourteen here in a few moments. And I've got two or three other passages I want you to turn with too in in a moment. But we'll we'll start our journey here in just a minute with John fourteen. If you wanted to take a master class on the presence of God, meaning if if you wanted someone to teach a class who was an expert in the area, and you wanted to take a master class in the presence of God, then you would be best served by taking that class with Moses, with Moses. No man who has ever walked the earth knew more of the presence of God and experienced more of the presence of God apart from Jesus himself than Moses did. I've probably learned more about the presence of God from the life of Moses than anything else. I would encourage you as we're talking about this, and this is stirring up in our church in these moments, to Give Moses and his life some consideration. It began in his calling at the burning bush when God met him and spoke to him and gave him direction for his life and told him the way in which God wanted to use him. And can I just stop right there to say clarity about our life and clarity about God's calling on our life, clarity about what God wants to do in our life always comes in the presence of God. Nowhere else. We need the wisdom of others, but it always comes in the presence of God. And so you alone with God, seeking God will always be the place where that's found. And so it began there for Moses. And then he watched as God's presence came and divided the Red Sea and the entire nation crossed. And he watched as the presence of God closed in the sea and all of Pharaoh's army was lost. He saw the presence of God as they journeyed as a people following a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. The presence of God leading them every step. He saw it as he gathered with the rest of the nation at the foot of Mount Sinai. As God's presence came down and they saw the lightning and the thunder and the smoke and the fire and the sound of trumpets that all came at the moment in which they saw the presence of God descend upon the mountain. He was there. And then eight different times in his life, Moses ascended the hill of the Lord. And he went to meet with God. He went to experience the presence of God. We're told that when Moses came down from the mountain from meeting with God, he had to wear a veil because his face was shining so brightly from his time in the presence, no one could look at him. Now that's a life goal. He tells us next is 3311. That Moses met with God face to face as a friend meets with a friend. What an unbelievable thought. As a friend to a friend, Moses was meeting with God. And it must have been his experience of God's presence, his understanding and awareness of God's presence that caused him to act the way he did and respond the way he did. At one of the saddest moments in all of the Old Testament, also found in Exodus 33, The people of Israel had seen God save them. There's no way you could have explained any of this without God. No one else could have done what God did at the Passover and with all of the plagues and no one else could have done what God did in dividing the sea and bringing them to the cross and allowing it to close back. No one else could have led them with the cloud and the fire. No one else could have done this but the Lord. It was evident that God was with them and God was saving them and God was present with them. And yet, They came to the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments and they began to wonder if he was ever going to come down. And so they took their gold jewelry and they threw it in the fire and they fashioned for themselves a golden calf. And while Moses was meeting with the Lord, they began to worship this calf. They began to celebrate. They began to dance. They began to play songs. And they even said this, imagine this. They said, this is the God who led us out of Egypt. As they looked at the golden calf. What a reminder of how quickly we can depart from our first love. How quickly can we be so consumed with something and so aware of something. And then the next moment have totally forgotten that the people of Israel display that to us over and over. Seeing God work time and time again. And then in just a moment as Moses departs here they are celebrating, worshiping and dancing around a golden calf. As Moses came down from the hill, he met Joshua and Moses knew what was going on. He knew that the people had begun to worship a golden calf and he was furious and God was furious. As a matter of fact, the only reason that God at that moment did not destroy the entire nation is because Moses pleaded with the Lord to spare them because the Lord was about done. The Lord decided to spare them. And the Lord told Moses, okay, you're going to get the promised land. I'm going to spare the people. You're going to get the promised land. But I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to go with you. The text tells us when the people of God heard this disastrous word, they mourned. A disastrous word. So God was still going to give them the promised land they were still going to get all the blessings in the land with milk and honey and and everything they had desired. And they were still going to be delivered out of Egypt and receive the fullness of all of that. But God wasn't going to be there. And Moses said to the Lord, don't send us if your presence doesn't go with us. Because what Moses understood is that all of the physical gifts that God could give us mean nothing without the presence of God that the only thing that makes life worth living at all is not the good things God gives you, but the presence that you have of him. The life, the light that we can experience, the best of the life that God has called us to live, which we will experience the fullness of of heaven, is all about the presence of God. If we could get heaven but no God, it wouldn't be heaven. If we could get all of his blessings without him, none of them would mean anything, and Moses understood that. And he said, Lord, if... If you don't go with us, don't send us up from here. Now, we talked about this last week. There's no way that can be the omnipresence of God because God's omnipresence would be there. It is all places at all times. There has to be something more. What Moses was referring to is the manifest presence of God, the real, felt, personal, known, experienced presence of God, which... I want us to awaken to as a church, as we talked about last week, the Lord said, no, my personal relational known felt presence will not go with you. And Moses really believed that it would have been a disastrous thing to receive everything God offers, but not have God's presence. And I just wonder if if we feel the same way. I wonder if we feel that it would be a disastrous thing if God gave us all of his good gifts, but not himself wonder what we would feel and how we would think about it if God said, okay, the rest of your life, everything you've ever desired in your heart, I'm going to give to you, but, but I'm not going to be with you. Would we be okay walking day by day, step by step, receiving all of the gifts of God, but not having the presence of God? Do we see that as disastrous as Moses did? My prayer is that God this morning would help open our eyes to the essential nature of his presence. It is not just our hope to receive his presence in fullness after we die, but we would understand that his presence is essential for every step that we take. This is really what I'm asking the Lord to teach us in these days. In these days, there's, Lots of things we're talking about and asking for and we're talking about expanding our facilities and buildings and a sanctuary and the money that we need for all of that. But we've also said that if God were to give us all of those things but not his presence, all of those things would be a waste. We don't want those things. That's not the the primary thing we want. What we desire is the presence of God. What we want is God in us and God through us. So that's why we've decided that in this journey we're going to claim the promise of Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. We say, okay, Lord, you said that if we seek first you, then you'll provide everything that we need. So, God, we're holding on to the promise that you have always provided for your people. And you know better than we do what we need. And you will give us everything what we need. Our eyes are going to be on you. That's the moment we're in. We're going to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. That's what we want. We want to see God at work. But if we want to know what it is like to know the presence of God and to walk in the presence of God and to moment by moment be dependent on the presence of God, the first thing God must do is deliver us, listen, from the box of self-reliance. Self-reliance is the enemy to the presence of God because self-reliance is pride. And self-reliance is living, listen, in our own strength without depending upon God and his spirit. Self-reliance is the way that most of us live every day. It's the way I will find myself living throughout the day and I'll wake up to this realization that I haven't talked to the Lord today, that that I've acted like I didn't need God today and God resists the proud. And so if we live in the box of self-reliance, God is not there. And here's the reason we like the box of self-reliance is because listen, it doesn't take any risk and it doesn't take any faith. And we just kind of know what we have and we know what we need and we plan everything out and we plan our life and we just kind of go through life in our own strength, with our own wisdom, very rarely seeking the presence of God, except maybe in some disastrous situation. But we just kind of live life without God. And here's the thing, although life might seem neater and more controlled and with less risk in the box of self-reliance, listen, God is not in there. And his power is not in there. And his anointing is not in there. And his presence is not in there. And his supply is not in there. There is no miracles in the box. There is nothing supernatural in the box. Because the box is what you can do without God. What God wants to do in these moments is to deliver us from that. He wants to tear down the walls of the box of self-reliance and show us. How essential it is for us to know his presence and no longer live, listen, a life without God because that's what life in the box is. It's life without God. God wants us to learn that his presence is essential for every step that we take in every moment of life. And this is exactly what he wanted his disciples to understand in John 13 through 17. Jesus, the night before He's betrayed, gathered his disciples in an upper room And it was there that he began to prepare them for his death. And he began to tell them things that he had not shared with them before. And the primary theme of the conversation was was something like this. I'm about to leave. And my expectation is that you would continue to do the work that I did while I was with you. To which right there you insert big eyes emoji. Like what? What? You're going to leave? Like what? What do you mean you're going to leave? We gave everything for you. You're going to leave? He says, yeah, I'm going to leave. Well, what do you mean we're going to continue the work that you did? They watched it for, for three years. The end of John tells us all the books in the world couldn't contain the miraculous things that they saw Jesus do. And so they saw all of that. And then Jesus says, it's no big deal. I just want you to stay here and keep doing what I did. Does that feel overwhelming? Does that feel like a task that might be too great for us? And They're overwhelmed by it. They can't even imagine how this would work. And so he begins to slowly teach them. Look what he says in chapter 14, verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, this is John 14, 12, will also do the works that I do. (laughs) Whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. Now that's incredible, but he digs in a little bit more and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the father. Now, I feel like every time I hear somebody preach on verses like this, I hear them spend 20 minutes telling us everything it doesn't mean. Okay? I, I don't know all the things it doesn't mean. All I know is this it means something. It, at the very least, it means the intention of Jesus is that his people would continue the work that he was doing. Because that's what it says. And I'm sure there's a thousand things it doesn't mean, but it has to mean that there would not be this massive disconnect between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of his church. And at the very least, it means this, is that while Jesus' presence was was local in one place, that when he ascended, this is Ephesians 4 that his presence would now dwell with his people and there would be the formation of these little local churches and communities all over the world and every one of those communities would then in the work of Jesus. Therefore, that work would be greater because all of these churches doing the work of Jesus, they still though could not comprehend how this was possible. So he continues to tell them, look what it says in John 14, 25 through 27. John 14, 25. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. Here it is. But the helper. The helper. The Holy Spirit. Whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Listen. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. So. If you were in that moment in which Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I want you to keep doing my work, would your heart be troubled and afraid? I think it might. Like I, I think about every task in my life, the task of being a husband, the task of being a father, the task of being a pastor, the task of being a friend, and every one of those tasks, if I think about it incorrectly, can make my heart troubled and afraid because they're all bigger than me. Like I've seen in every one of those areas what I can do in my flesh and it's not enough. And so imagine how they're feeling and their heart is troubled and afraid. And the Lord says, listen, here's the reason you don't need to be afraid is because a helper is going to come. And that's the reason before he said, you're going to continue this because I'm going to the father. And it is because he is going to the father that the spirit is going to come down. And he begins to tell them the means by which the church and you are going to do the work of Jesus is through his spirit. And he continues, look at John 15. John 15, Jesus says this, he continues to explain this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so they're asking, Lord, how is it that we would bear your fruit? How is it that we would do your work? And the answer is, is that you're gonna abide in me. Meaning, as you stay closely connected to me, God's design, listen, this is God's design for the life of every believer, that the very life and power of Jesus would flow through you. That's not some big abstract. That's God's design for the life of every believer. That as you abide in him, as you stay closely connected, it is his life that is flowing through you to others. The work of Jesus done through you. And say, well, well, how is it that his life is flowing through me? Well, he continues to clarify that. Look what he says in John 16. Turn the next page. John 16, four through seven. John 16, four through seven. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I didn't see say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus said, you didn't need to know this before, but now that I'm leaving, you need to know this. Now I am going to him who sent me and none of you asked me where are you going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Listen to that. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I will go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is saying is the way and this is just going to work and the way it's going to work until I return is that I'm going to put my spirit in my people. And as my people seek my presence and seek my spirit and as they remain clean vessels and as they seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, what happens is, listen, to the degree to which they are filled with the Holy Spirit is the degree to which my work is being done and my life is being manifested and my presence is being seen. The first line of our vision statement is that we want to be the visible presence of Jesus in our community. Well, how does that happen? It happens not just because we act like Jesus, but because the very life of Jesus is flowing through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. That has always been the plan of God listen to me, your ability to see Jesus' work in your life, in the areas of your anxiety and your moral purity and the wisdom that you need for decisions, your ability to see the work of Jesus in your children and in your marriage and in your singleness and in your school, your ability to see the work of Jesus is wholly dependent upon his presence in you. This is... This is essential to your life because there is no manifestation of the ministry of Jesus without his presence. Now turn with me just a few pages over to Acts 1. To Acts 1. Acts one, 1 kind of subtly tells us, I love that sound, you hear that? I love that. I love that many of you have brought a physical paper copy of the word of God. God bless you. May your tribe increase. Acts one. <laughs> Acts one. In the first book, O Theophilus, so Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and Acts. This is volume two. In the first book, the gospel of Luke, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up and he had given commands to the Holy Spirit and the apostles he had chosen. Now there's three really important words, began to do and teach. Here's what Luke is saying. Luke is saying the gospel of Luke, the ministry of Jesus on earth, those three years, that's what Jesus began to do. Now if he says that's what Jesus began to do, what that means is the book of Acts is not what happens after Jesus is done working, it is the continuation of the work of Jesus. Jesus. That's what he began to do. You know what Acts is? Acts is what Jesus continues to do by the power of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the local church. God designed the church that the ministry of Jesus would continue as his people, individuals filled with his spirit, gathering together, being the body of Christ. And so what we're living in now, this church age, is the age in which the ministry of Jesus continues, even as Jesus is ascended, because as he ascended, the Spirit descended and filled his people so that they might be the body of Christ, and they might be, as our vision statement says, the visible presence of Jesus, not only in the community, but in the home, in the workplace, and everywhere else we go. And So it was his intention that this would continue. They were still feeling that feeling of the upper room. They had been given this task to take the gospel to all nations. They had been given this task to do greater things than Jesus had done. And so look at what he says to them going back to Acts 1. He says in verse 4, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. To wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what Jesus was saying is the power that you need for this task, all the resources you need for this task are all found in the presence of my spirit. It is my presence that will be the means by which you will accomplish those things. It's the only hope. And so they waited for 40 days, and that's the rest of Acts 1. And they gathered together and they prayed and they read and studied and heard the word and they obeyed the word just like we're doing in this place this morning. We pray and we hear the word and we gather together because that's what God's people have always done. There's never been another plan. We gather, we pray, we seek the Lord together. We obey what he said to us. And they do that until Acts 2. And looks what it says in Acts 2. As they waited and sought the Lord... It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we could read the rest of Acts 1. But what happens next is that, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and everybody thinks he's drunk, but he's not drunk. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And and Peter, who had just denied Jesus when a little slave girl said, didn't I see you with Jesus? He goes, no, that wasn't me. He preaches and thousands of people get saved because Peter was bold. No, because Peter was a great preacher. No, because the presence of God was on Peter. Look at the end of Acts 2. Look at starting in verse 42, what happens in a church and in a people when they start to seek the presence of God and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came up every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes and they received their food with glad and generous hearts. There was joy in their midst. They were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now listen, at the end of one chapter, they had already fulfilled the promise of John 14 and greater things than these will you do. They'd already seen it because there was 120 in the upper room as Jesus left and all of a sudden there's 3,000 that have been saved. Why? Because they waited on the promise of the Father. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And listen to this. What you have right here in in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 1 is a paradigm that you see throughout Scripture. You look at every great work of God in the Old Testament and every great work of God in the New Testament and you even follow great works of God throughout church history and they all follow the same pattern. Let me tell you what it is. A people of God get hungry for God. They want more of God. They believe that there's more to have. And so what do they do? They pray and they seek the Lord. They do exactly what we're doing in the season. God, we're not satisfied with a little taste of you. We want all of you. And as they pray, God answers their prayer. He pours out his spirit in a sovereign and fresh way. And the result of that is that they fulfill the mission of God in a way that he could have never done unless they would have been filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just a paradigm for the church. Listen to me. I don't want you to just think this is a sermon for our church. This is the paradigm for your life and your marriage and your parenting, your singleness, every stage of your life. You are seeking the Lord. All you want is all that God has for you. You say, God, I need you and I need your presence in my life. And as you seek that, the Lord fills you with his spirit as you become a clean vessel. And then what happens? The very life of Jesus starts to be manifested. So instead of having this massive burden of I've got to do this and I've got to do this and I've got to act this way, I've got to act this way, instead of going straight to that, what do we do? We go straight to prayer and say, God, we need you. Would you come and fill me with your spirit and cleanse me and give me clean hands and a pure heart through Jesus Christ and God, all I want is you. And then the very life of Jesus begins to flow through us. That's exactly the way that God is always working. Our theme for this season right now is more, just God, more for your glory. We don't even know what it means fully, but we just want everything that you have. And it's in Ephesians 3, and it's the last passage I want you to turn to. Turn to Ephesians 3, because I want you to notice something here. Turn to Ephesians 3, and look at 20 and 21, which we've been talking about. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, then all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So I would say those who know the Lord and love the Lord have in some time had this desire to see God do more, right? And, And we're in that season. Everybody loves Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. That's the part that always gets framed, right? Like, Lord, we just want to see you do more, more for your glory. You are able to do more, so do it. But the more that God wants to do flows from what happens in the previous verses. So look at verse 14. Paul begins to pray. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father. He's on his knees from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. And here's what he's praying that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with what? With power through what? His spirit where in your inner being. Here's Paul's prayer. God filled him with your spirit. God, may they know your power as your power comes by your spirit in their inner being, in every individual person. May your presence be there so that Christ can dwell in your hearts through faith. That's a phrase that means that God would have full access to every area of your heart and full control over everything, holding nothing back from him. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you would be so confident in God's love that you would freely give him all things, that you would trust him, that you would take a risk, that you would step out in faith. Why? Because you know God loves you. But look at the last line of verse 19. If you underline in your Bible, underline this, all right? The last line of verse 19, here's Paul's prayer, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so do we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation? Yes. But can we be filled continually with the Holy Spirit? And as we are clean vessels, filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what Paul says is this, my desire for the church is that you would be filled to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Listen, and the way we see God do more, Ephesians 3.20, is we see God fill us with his fullness, Ephesians 3.19. That's it. That's the way it works. So God wants full access to you and he wants to fill you with his Spirit And as he fills us with his spirit, it is then when we see God do more. I want you to think about this with me. Just think about it. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. Okay, listen. If there is a church that doesn't really pray, and they don't really talk about the Holy Spirit, and they don't really seek the presence of the Holy Spirit, and they're not serious about those type of things. They're serious about the actions, but, but they're not serious about prayer and seeking the Lord in his presence and his spirit. Can that church do the work of Jesus? No. I don't care how many programs you organize. I don't care how much the pastor begs and manipulates and pleads and uses every bit of leadership and relational capital he has to get you to come to everything he's organized. If there is no prayer, if there is no spirit, there is no work of Jesus. Now listen, what if there's a life, an individual life, that doesn't really pray and doesn't really seek to be filled with the spirit and isn't learning how to walk by the spirit? Can that life See the work of Jesus? Can that life experience the power of God and the miracle of God? Well, the answer is no. And the truth is, is we have a generation in our church of people who have learned to be satisfied with everything they can experience in the box of of self-reliance. Like we're satisfied with this. We've learned how to do church in our own flesh. We've learned how to do marriage in our own flesh and to raise children in our flesh and to, and, to, and to work in our flesh and to go to school in our flesh. And the reality is we're living oftentimes a godless life that is never saying, Lord, I need your presence today. And the reason is because we just often don't think we need it. And that is what we've talked about every week at the church of Laodicea in Revelation 3. They were just so wealthy And they had so much that they never really thought they needed God. And because they thought they needed God, they didn't seek God. And the result is Revelation 3.20. This is last week's sermon. That God is outside the door of the church. Saying, I'd really like to come in. And so you know it's possible to have church with God outside. And God not in the church. So God's knocking. I'd really like to come in. But they never thought about inviting the Lord in. Because they just didn't think he needed him. And that could be your life. And that could be the life of our church. God would love to come and to show you his power and to work in your life. But you have to know you need him. And then after knowing you need him, you have to seek him and invite him in. And this is the way the life with Jesus works. The church of Laodicea can teach us a master class in self-reliance. But what we have to do is we have to say we are sick of living a godless life. We are sick and tired of being a church that can that can do what it can do in its own strength. We we are afraid, we're terrified of our ability to move forward and build something that's not from God we're saying, God, that's the last thing we want. We don't want it in, in our lives or in our church. And my heart for you, my longing for you in this moment is that you would seek God and that you would know his fullness and that you would experience what's only possible through him and that your life would not be a masterclass in self-reliance, but it would be a masterclass in the presence of God, that you would see him work and move in your life. And even the way that we're seeking to raise funds during this season, we're saying this, I... I before God, I have not had one conversation with one person about giving money. We say we want you to pray and we want you to seek the Lord and do what God tells you to do. Why? Because in this moment, the win is not just the resources, the win is you seeking God and experiencing Him. And that's, that's what we want. Let me close with this verse. There is one verse that I'm holding on to. I wrote it on a note card on Friday morning. It is the promise of Luke 11, verse 13, which says this. If you who are evil, Jesus says, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And all I'm saying is I want as much of the Holy Spirit as possible. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be filled with the, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I, I don't want to just kind of, kind of put my toe into the water of God's presence. I'm saying, God, I want more. And the only thing I know to do in that is to, is to pray and say, God, you have promised that you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And right when I think, well, that's all I can do, I realize that's all that we need to do. Lord, we want to be a clean vessel and, and, and we want to submit ourselves to you. But God, we're just asking, would you, would you take me all that I have and would you allow me to be a vessel filled with the Holy Spirit that flowing out of my life would be the work of God and flowing out of our church would be the work of God. And the only way we get there is if each one of us get there. That's, that's the goal. So this morning, I'm just asking you, maybe it's been a long time since you've done that to say, Lord, I want you in my life. I want you real. I'm ready to take a risk and to step out of the box and I'm willing to go where you want me to go. And I want to see your best and I want to see your power in my life. And I want to see you work miracles in my life. And so, God, I'm just saying I'm ready to step out and I want you to have all of me. And I'm asking you this morning to make that your prayer. I'm going ask you in a minute when we stand, if some of you wanna come and talk to one of our pastors or prayer partners, that's great. But in the first service, we had the front flooded with people who came and said, Lord, they came with their husbands and wives and kids and alone and just said, Lord, I, I, I don't know what it means, but I'm ready. I, I want all of you. And, and Lord, I want you to have all of me. And you've promised, you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Lord, I'm asking, I'm asking for more of you for your glory. That's, that's what we're after right now. More for his glory. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.